Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Mark 6, it says this. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been... Am I on the right bit? Good. (laughs) Just checking. John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah. I don't think I'm on the right... Yes, I am. Others said he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. You see, that's what got me. It was the flip back. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, your word to us is good. And it's also challenging. And so, Father, I pray you would come and do something supernatural this evening. 
come and speak into our hearts, into our lives. Bring the change that you want to bring by your Holy Spirit. We pray for your name's sake. Amen. As we begin, I want you to think about something really hard that you've done that has been totally worth it. Can you picture it? Maybe it's a, a professional qualification, uh, some kind of degree that you slogged away for, a project at work that took so much of your time and energy, attention, lots of late nights, but you felt had been worth it. For me, it was running the London Marathon. I know I'm in good company. There are a few who've been training recently. You think of those examples, and, and we remember that just because something's costly, it doesn't mean it's not worth it. And we're going to be thinking a bit about that this evening as we see how it relates to our faith. As Wendy said, we're in Mark chapter 6. Jesus has just sent out his 12 closest followers on a mission. And before we hear how this mission is going, Mark kind of pulls back and looks at this story of Herod and John the Baptist. And we're told that, that as Jesus' mission through his disciples went forward, people began to hear about it. People have their sins forgiven. They're dramatically healed. And Herod, the Roman ruler of Galilee, he gets word of it. News has reached him of the amazing things uh, that Jesus has done. And he panics. Follow with me, verse 14. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Herod is terrified, paranoid even. He's had this man, John, beheaded, and now he's worried that that John has come back from the dead. I'm really in for it now. That's what he's thinking. So that's how this passage starts. And what Mark is doing is he's pausing and he's looking back at this story. It's actually the longest section of Mark's gospel, which isn't particularly about Jesus in this moment. Well, the detail isn't about Jesus. And, and what Mark is doing, taking this long time to, to show this story to us, actually longer than any of the other gospel writers, well, we'd expect to find some important lessons in the passage. And I think there are three big ones for us this evening. Here's lesson one. Sharing the full gospel of Jesus can be costly. Sharing the full gospel of Jesus can be costly. Look with me at where I'm getting that from. We've got John the Baptist. He's a man who's radically devoted to Jesus from his birth, even before his birth. God had set him apart to be a witness, to point forward to Jesus, the one who would come and prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. That's how Mark's gospel began. And uh, he, he lived a simple and a godly life. And without fear or favor, he was a man who called everyone to turn back to God. We get the essence of his message in chapter 1, verse 4. John the Baptist appeared, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the essence of his message. John preached about forgiveness of sins and the need for repentance. Repentance, a Bible word, it really means just no longer living for ourselves. It's turning our lives around and living for Jesus. And actually, that's the very best way to live because Jesus, who made us, knows the best paths for us. So, so when, we start, when we turn our lives around and start living Jesus' way, that is the very best way we could live. That's repentance. 
So John, he's going around, he's proclaiming this message of forgiveness and repentance wherever he goes. And he really does take it everywhere. He takes it to Herod, a man with serious power, even with power over life and death. John knew he had that power, and yet look at his boldness, verse 17. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You see what John's doing? He is, he's boldly and directly confronting the big issue in Herod's life at that moment. The place where Herod was most resistant to change. His adultery. And that raises a question for us of where in our lives God might particularly be putting his finger and saying repentance is needed. I wonder in your life, which, which part of your life is most resistant to the change that Jesus is calling you to? Maybe it's anger. You, you're the kind of person who flares up easily. And when you do, you, you try and justify it by saying, oh, it's others who push my buttons. But really, it's the anger in your heart coming out. Or maybe it's pride. You bristle easily when, when people offer constructive criticism. Do you know, I've noticed that in myself recently. I'd love your prayer for that, that I would change. Criticism, and I, I bristle easily. Try and get defensive. It could be anger, it could be pride, it could be lust. Maybe there's that person that you know, that man or the, you're, that woman you just keep taking second and third looks at. Or, or the internet is taking you places that you know it's not going to be helpful for you to go. Whatever area of life for you, you are most resistant to Jesus' uh, call to change. Can I say to us, again, Jesus' ways are always better than ours. We follow his path rather than our own selfish desires. That not only honors our Lord Jesus, it's also the very best way for us to flourish. So that's what John is doing here. He's calling Herod to a specific area of repentance in his life. And there may be areas for us this evening. And look at what happens from John's preaching. What's the result? Well, he gets chucked into prison, doesn't he? John's message was costly to him. And here's the thing. There's no difference between John's message and Jesus' message. We, we've already read. John came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And very similarly, we're told that the essence of Jesus' message was this. Chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then the message that Jesus gave to his first disciples and through them to us was also the same. Just, you're on the page already, chapter 6, verse 12, just before our passage. Jesus sends his disciples out in mission and, he, and they, it says, they went out and preached that people should repent. So you see those themes come up again and again in Mark's gospel. Forgiveness, repentance. That's the, the full gospel of Jesus. The need for forgiveness and the need for change, repentance. And when I say full gospel, I don't mean that's everything we could say about the gospel. There's loads more. You can't plumb the depths of the gospel. I mean, you've got to have both of those things for it to be a gospel. 
But you know, it's really easy for us to give other people only half a gospel. It might be that we're very happy to talk about the good news part. And, and it is good news, isn't it? The very best news in the universe. The news that, that we can be fully forgiven. The news that through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can have a relationship with God. The news that God's Holy Spirit comes and lives in our lives, changing us from the inside. The news that when Jesus returns and we meet him and we, we'll be in his presence forever, enjoying his presence in the perfect new creation. It is good news. The very best news. And maybe we're very happy to talk about all those parts of the gospel. That's great. But, but if we stop there, we've missed the whole part of the gospel message. See, a message of forgiveness without a message of repentance is not the whole gospel. And that is one of the reasons why we are committed in our Sunday services at Emmanuel, in our small groups, simply to working our way through different parts of the Bible. We're convinced that that is the best way to safeguard us against preaching only half a message of Jesus. And you know, it needs to be the same with, in our interactions with those around us who don't know Jesus. Friends, non-Christian family, if we have them, our colleagues, our neighbors. What they need from us is a full gospel. Forgiveness and repentance. The need for change. But it doesn't take a lot to work out that sharing that kind of gospel can be costly. It's costly for John the Baptist. It was costly for Jesus and his disciples. And it can still be costly for us today. It's really helpful for us to to know that, though. To know that costs can come with following Jesus. It gets our expectations right. Now, in many places in the world, the costs of following Jesus, of stepping out, of speaking the full gospel, they're much higher than they are in our country. We're going to be praying later on in the service for that. But it can still be costly in in our context when we share our faith. I just want to encourage us this evening, if you have stepped out like Wendy did earlier this week, that could have gone really badly. And if you've stepped out and you've shared your faith at some point and and it's gone down badly, can I just say, don't be discouraged by that. And the reason not to be discouraged is that that is the normal experience of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus says later in Mark's gospel, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus never promised us as his followers an easy, pain, costless ride through this life to heaven. He said, no, being a disciple involves taking up your cross. But he also promised that it would be infinitely worth it in the end. When he returns and we're enjoying the blessings of fellowship with him, of being with him for all eternity... Every sacrifice we've made at that point, every cost will have been worth it. Don't stop sharing the full gospel message because it's costly, it's worth it. That is the normal experience of a follower of Jesus. So sharing the full gospel of Jesus can be costly. Here's a second lesson from this passage. The full gospel of Jesus repels some and attracts others. It repels some it attracts others. Verses 19 and 20. So Herodias nurtured a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. 
But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Two different responses to Jesus' message of repentance and forgiveness in those verses. There's Herodias. Herodias, who, who sees John, John's preaching and thinks, I just want him out of the way. She's repelled by the gospel message. And it's because she's having her sin confronted, and she doesn't want that. Now, I think Herodias would have known deep down that what she was doing, her adultery, was wrong. She doesn't want to change. And so she decides to have nothing to do with the message. If I just get rid of the messenger, that's all I'll need. And that, react, that kind of reaction helps us to understand why it can be sometimes so costly to share the gospel message. It's because we are unnerved by seeing the reality about ourselves. And rather than face the truth of that, many people just turn away from it. And maybe you know people who have reacted to the gospel message like that. I do, and I've been reminded by this this week that, that there's not much I can do beyond continuing to share it to help that, but I can pray. So if you have people that you know and they've just sort of turned away from the gospel message and said, I don't want anything to do with that, then pray for them. Jesus can change them by a miracle of his grace. So that's one reaction being repelled by the gospel. Here's the second. We see it in Herod. Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him. Herodias' reaction, it's it's outright rejection. She's repelled by the gospel, but, but Herod is attracted to it. And I wondered if you noticed the surprise of that. It's a big surprise in this passage. Here is Herod. He's living up the life of luxury indulging himself in every way, living in adultery. He's put John in prison, presumably to get him out of the way, so he can't preach this message, so he doesn't make known his sin to others. And yet a surprising thing happens to John while he's in prison. We're told that Herod liked to listen to John. It's a, a verb, continuous verb. It means John, Herod went back to John again and again to listen to him. You can picture the scene. Perhaps it's the dead of night, and and Herod, with, without making a sound, he, he, he creeps out of the bed just to not wake up Herodias next to him. He, he creeps out and he, he heads down to the dungeon and, and he listens to John's message. The surprise here is that, that Herod, despite having his sin confronted, he feels drawn to John. He feels drawn to this message. And a big reason that he feels drawn there is that he could see there was something different about John. We're told Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Herod could see in John the truth of the gospel. Here is a righteous and a holy man. Here is someone who's living differently. Here is someone whose words, whose actions rather, match up with his words. And that is a, that is a helpful reminder to us that if we are longing for people we know to to trust Christ, to, to receive him as their Lord and Savior, then they're much more likely to be receptive to the message if they see us living it out. More receptive as we share it if they see us living lives of godliness. 
lives of repentance, lives turning away from our own desires and, and following the paths of godliness that God sets out for us, the paths of flourishing. When we do that, then people around us sit up and take notice. This came home very powerfully to me when I was about 16. I was at school and I had two close friends who I had been trying to share something of the gospel with. We'd had several really big conversations. They'd uh, got all their objections and their questions out there. We'd talked them through. And one time when we were talking, one of my friends said something like this to me. He said, John, you tell us a lot about Jesus, but to be honest, you don't seem to live all that differently than those of us, us around you, all of us at school. You can imagine how embarrassed I was. But in God's kindness, that was a big moment for me, a wake-up call to ask for his help to start living a life of more integrity, a life where how I lived matched up more closely with what I believed. That was a really significant moment for me as I look back on it and see how God used it to grow me more like Jesus. So let me ask you this question this evening. If, if we had in the room this evening uh, colleagues, friends, non-Christian family of yours, and we asked them about your character, what would they say? Just think about that for a moment. Would they comment on how different you are? How distinctively you live? It may be that they would. That's glorious. Amen. It may be that that's a a particular challenge this evening. Sharing the gospel message can be costly. The full gospel of Jesus attracts some and repels others. And lastly, most briefly, some reject the gospel because they care too much about their reputation. We get to the climax of the story in verse 21. Herod's been listening to John. He's been protecting him. He's been keeping him close so that he can hear this message. He's been drawn to it. But Herodias has been looking for an opportunity to kill him. And so we get to verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring God's, John's head. It's a pretty sordid scene, isn't it? Herodias' daughter is sent for. She's sent for to dance and entertain Herod and his guests. It's the kind of dance we, we believe that would have normally been performed by court dancers or even prostitutes, and yet she's brought out to bring this dance. It's a dance that's designed to turn the heads of the men, and it works. Herod's maybe fueled up by the drink of the party, and, and in this promise made in the excitement of the moment, he says he'll give her anything she wants, up to half the kingdom. But he sets himself a trap, and he gets caught in the trap he sets for himself. He hears the request of Herodias' daughter, and he's greatly distressed. The only other time that 
phrase is used in the New Testament is actually when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, so this is a picture of Herod being completely torn emotionally. He knows in this moment that John is a righteous and a holy man. He's been drawn by John to the gospel message. He can see there's something different about him. There's something different about this message. But he's surrounded in this moment by all of the VIPs of Galilee. Men who he wants to keep on side, who he's invited to this party. Men whose opinion he cares about. And in this moment of distress, he pictures their scornful reaction if he goes back on his word. The promise he's just made. He imagines how foolish he'll look if he goes back on that promise. And so he caves. He gives in. When push comes to shove, Herod cares more about his own reputation than the gospel message. As we draw to a close, that is, can I say, a gracious word of warning to anyone here who is trying to sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus. That might describe you this evening. Maybe you are drawn to to Jesus and the message of the gospel. Perhaps you've seen in Christians that you know, even here, that something of the truth of that gospel message is you've seen them living differently. And you you can see that Jesus is worth following, that his ways are best. But something is holding you back from trusting in him. From, from turning around the direction of your life and following his ways. And it might be that what, what is holding you back is, is a picture in your mind's eye of people that you know who will, who will react in a particular way if you say that you've become a Christian. Maybe you fear that they'll think you are foolish or misguided. And so you're just holding back. Not quite taking that final step of trusting in Jesus. If that happens to describe anyone here this evening. Can I say to you, in all earnestness, don't let fear of someone's reaction put you off from making the most important decision you could ever make. A life-shaping, eternity-changing decision. Because if you, if you miss out on this, if you miss out on Jesus' offer of forgiveness and eternal life because of what someone might think, well, that's a decision you'll regret forever. So don't delay. Trust in Jesus. You can do that even this evening. I'd love to talk to you if that's something that's true for you. Sharing the full gospel of Jesus can be costly, but it's infinitely worth it in the end. The gospel repels some and attracts others. Is your life attracting people to Jesus? And some people reject the gospel because they care too much about their own reputation. If that's you, don't hold back. Don't miss out on the best decision you could ever make. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.